0: The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. This is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio.
1: All right, folks welcome back welcome back to this live broadcast now in the second hour here on tnt today's news talk i'm patrick kenningson your host really appreciate you guys joining us today uh, we're going to have a pretty impactful segment coming up we're going to get breaking developments the latest uh, information uh, on the hostage swap in gaza there's been a few snags Uh, And there's a big snag coming up, which we're going to reveal. You may not have heard this yet, uh, but we're going to be talking to author and journalist Hala Jabber, who has uh, intimate knowledge of all of the goings on there. And we're going to share with you what's going to be an interesting development for sure. Certainly, uh, it might change the narrative a little bit. But uh, before we go back to the Middle East, I want to go back to U.S. politics and Ron DeSantis. We talked about sort of the flatlining of his campaign, not going too well. Uh, We also talked about uh, the emergence of Nikki Haley as a sort of now number two, and the money. Where's the money going? The Koch brothers uh need no introduction well the coke industries we'll call it the coke network now because uh not all the coke brothers are around uh but uh this, this is where the money is heading now coke network endorsement of haley is a major hit to ron desantis a major hit so these big political action committees ladies and gentlemen these are the kingmakers. Uh, in politics, not just in the U.S., but in places like Brazil, places like Argentina, hint, hint. So we talk about the Kochs. We know they're active all over the world. So this is sort of the right-wing end of the sort of George Soros-style international election (laughs) shaping and so forth. This also happens, of course, in the U.S. This is where they've honed their skills in America, and they go international. This one's called Americans for Prosperity, AFP. Americans for Prosperity Action. Charles Koch-backed group with Deep Pockets. Multi-million dollar ad campaign. They're buying up ad space all over the place. Who are they pushing now? Nikki Haley. Amazing. So they're going to try to make that one fly. Uh, Good luck. Uh, I think she has about as good a chance as Ron DeSantis to capture the hearts and minds of the American people. But what is she doing? Well, as long as she's not attacking Trump too much. And here's the thing. If you're not attacking Trump too much, the, the the power brokers could say to Donald, talked about this in the first hour, tap Donald on the shoulder. Donald, we know you got the people, you, you got the votes. Be shame if a little thing happened like that in 2020 again. You know what I mean? 3 a.m., all these votes appear, and next thing you know, you're out. But Donald, we can sort that out for you. But you're going to have to basically take one of our people, as the vice president and we're going to also appoint most if not all of your cabinet and your national security council here's your vice president donald this is nikki haley she ran a good race against you i think you should reward her with the vp spot be a good move for you donald i wouldn't say no as they say in the mafia uh, Laura, he made an offer, which she couldn't refuse. And same with uh, Mike Pompeo, which to me would be like the deep state's number one pick for a VP. So that's where the coke money's going. Meanwhile, on the lawfare front, interesting how that's developing. The Deutsche Bank case with Trump is perhaps one of the weakest of all of these attacks. By the way, they've all failed one by one. These, these aren't going anywhere. All nothing burgers. So imagine this. They're, they're, they're claiming Deutsche Bank. The irony of this is just too much. Matthew Lee, our legal correspondent, uh, we covered this a few weeks ago when he was talking about the Deutsche Bank case with Trump. They're claiming Deutsche Bank is the victim, that uh, Trump fudged the value of his assets to get favorable terms and conditions. I mean, Deutsche Bank, the victim, I'm just trying to think, wasn't there a little thing called the subprime housing Crisis! You remember that when, remember when the whole economy went, you know, what up that was a 2008, 2009 subprime collapse, right? The big short, you guys remember all that AIG, the tarp, the bailout, Ben Bernanke. You remember all that? I remember all that very vividly in fact. And I remember Deutsche Bank is one of the biggest holders and pushers and movers of this subprime junk bond mortgage, junk paper. Uh, selling on people's mortgages and repackaging them into these sort of do-nothing packages. Funny money, completely fake, a Ponzi scheme. Deutsche Bank was one of the biggest global players. They're pushing this junk all over the world. They nearly collapsed a couple of economies as well in the process. How could they be the victim of anything? In fact, they should drag Letitia James, the uh, prosecutor there, the New York's attorney general, who's vowed to bring down Trump by hook or crook. She, that she campaigned on that, literally. She should be dragging Deutsche Bank into federal court. Seriously, just to be fair about it. Deutsche Bank executive may have just tanked New York Attorney General Tisha James' lawsuit against a former President Donald Trump, revolving around portraying the German banking lender Deutsche Bank as Trump's biggest victim in alleged scheme to inflate the value of his assets in order to in, obtain favorable terms uh from banks and insurers but but uh, those uh, working on the case and around it have basically said that they've testified uh this week that this is uh this isn't a tip it's not entirely unusual behavior in other words this is how business is done between client and bank all the time. Banks will internally slash a client's stated asset values by as much as 50% and approve loans anyway, as they did with Trump. This was reported in Bloomberg. So basically, this is another nothing burger. It depends on the circumstances. All this, this is standard fare. What they're trying to do is to cherry pick a situation, a scene here, and say, oh, this is unethical. Oh, this is this is illegal. Well, it's not illegal, not 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 really Deutsche Bank which loaned hundreds of millions of dollars to the Trump organization for projects in Miami, Chicago, Washington cut his stated net worth in 2011 and 12 from about 4.2 billion to 2.3 billion probably because of liabilities probably because of uh, fluctuations in the values of these properties we're talking about net worth Full portfolio. According to the internal bank credit memos, the same documents indicated that the bank approved those loans anyway, because it expected them to generate a profit based on Trump's history of successful developments and other criteria. Hello. do You think Deutsche Bank's in it to lose money? You think they're going to lend hundreds of millions of dollars to someone like Donald Trump as a high uh, profile public, public presence, That, that, that he's going to end up losing money. I don't think so because if his developments have been profitable in the past, and obviously he's showing this to the bank, they're looking at the books. They're speaking to his financiers, his lawyers, they're saying, oh, this looks like it's going to be a winner. Yep. We'll loan you the money and we expect a return on the back end. Isn't that how business is always done? Whether the valuation of the assets is a or B is neither here nor there. What matters to the bank. And of course, what matters to Donald Trump is, is will the bottom line be there when the project is completed? So how is this different than any other property deal anywhere in America? It's not. So nothing here. A victimless crime. Another one. Lawfare, ladies and gentlemen. Are we in Brazil? Are we in the United States? Are we in uh, Argentina? What country are we in? It's hard to tell sometimes. This is what's going on. This is absolute election interference and meddling by the biden doj by the new york attorney general's office as well trying to get him off the ballot trying to push him from the primaries or at least get him on the off the ballot in a couple of states that might make the difference in terms of when things are tabulated towards the end you remember when 2016 that race you had two main challengers uh, when once jeb bush dropped out and that was a big shock because he was the presumptive favorite then you had two main challengers ted cruz and Marco Rubio, aggregate, they gave Trump a very tough run. There was a moment there where Rubio was breaking, and Cruz was running an incredible online spamming campaign on Twitter and things like that. I think he must he must have hired Cambridge Analytica or one of these firms. And Donald Trump and those were kind of like looking, and they were in the same bracket in terms of, you know, is even under ten percentage points at one point. I think between Trump and Cruz, and uh, all of a sudden. Trump broke at the last minute, did incredibly well in the remaining primary states, and took the nomination. But you can do a successful challenge in the primaries, especially uh, when you're sort of getting headway after Super Tuesday. So how is that going to make a difference? Well, if he's not on the ballot in some states, or if he's managed to be pushed out through some law they're, they're filing the lawsuits as we speak so that could make a difference in terms of uh, delegates so we're just saying and you know you can counter sue all you want but this is the problem with elections they happen and then the results called and then the country wants to move on they don't want to delay the results of the election uh, in order to count votes that weren't there or find out what's the legality of you know, knocking somebody off, an ex-president off of the ballot uh, in whatever state that is. You know, it's just not going to happen. So this is the problem, and you can get the political upper hand, and then once the result comes, is what happened in 2020. They said, well, we got to move on as a country. We can't be litigating this election for the next six months, so we just have to accept the results. There might have been a little fraud there. You know, there's maybe a few... Th- few thousand dead people voting in Wisconsin and Michigan, but, uh, Hey, it's not a big deal. You know, Biden won by a landslide. That's generally how it goes in America. America always wants to move on. And if you're not ready to move on, you will be dragged into the future by the mainstream media and the political establishment. That's just how business goes in America time and time again. And I think this is what's going to happen in 2024. It's going to be ugly I just have this feeling we're looking at one of the most divisive, if not the most divisive, uh, electoral contest yet. I would be surprised if that wasn't the case. We pray that it's not, but be ready, folks. Prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Let's take a break with TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. On the other side, we're going to be talking to author and journalist Hala Jabber about the breaking news in Gaza, and we're going to be delving into this a little bit deeper Uh, looking forward to that stay right there TNT radios Timothy
0: Shea the double standard is out there it's so obvious it's so frustrating Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena nothing happens Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right, I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations, it transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one.
2: China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40...
0: California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that- stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. website tntradio.live check it out today's news talk radio it's the coolest tnt
1: welcome back welcome back I'm Patrick Henning, your host we're in the second hour of this live broadcast uh, we'll be joined shortly by our guest Hala Jabber a Middle Eastern journalist who's also author of what a lot of people believe is like the definitive history of Hezbollah Hezbollah born of the Vengeance Published in 1997, it's still a big seller these days more than ever. Certainly that was important in my understanding of the background of the region and this organization. She'll be joining us very shortly uh, as we get her ready uh, in the green room. Uh, But before we get there, I want to share with you something really important. Now, one of the big problems we're facing right now in the international system, and of course this is important for the election year in the United States, is a lack of international agreements. Uh, to prevent things like uh, little things like thermonuclear war, uh, these were sort of helpful agreements that were in place during the Cold War. That, you know, many will argue that prevented uh, the total annihilation of the human race. You know, it's not not a trivial thing, of course. Uh, we're being facetious because it's just so crazy that we're even having this conversation, and there's so few people that are you know interested uh, in putting some of these missile defense treaties, defense packs, uh. de-escalation, denuclearization, arms reduction. These are all things that we'd hope we'd want to see happen uh, in the nuclear age. But uh, why do countries have thousands of warheads? Is there an opportunity to scale that down for everybody's sake? And people say, well, you can't put the nuclear uh, genie back in the bottle. And there's some truth to that. You can't. But what you can do as the great powers is you can come to some agreement um, whereby the fact that the great powers are working on de-armament sends a very clear signal to everybody in the world that they are serious about avoiding such a catastrophe that's the difference right now we have total escalation the u.s is escalating the russians are escalating Uh, they've just done a test run of the new sarmat icbm a thing's hypersonic uh missile here which russia has been testing i mean that's pretty pretty much gives them the upper hand in terms of missile defense. Russia feels like it has to do this, uh, with NATO lurching further and further towards Moscow by pushing the, uh, the borders of NATO territory as Jan Stoltenberg likes to call it further east to the point where if you take a Ukraine, for instance, or even a Poland, uh, flight time to Moscow with one of these missile launches from the West, you're talking about minutes, talking about 10 minutes. If it, was, if it was from Ukraine, seven minutes. If it's from a little bit further, maybe 12, 10, 12 minutes. This is just outrageous. This is ridiculous. So it's a little bit too close for comfort for the Russians. And the breakdown in this relationship has led the Russian foreign policy delegation to basically warn that there's going to be no chance at the way things are now there's no chance for any renewal of any kind of nuclear agreement between the us and russia this is one of the things that held some stability uh in the bipolar world so we're in a dangerous uh, place here ladies and gentlemen because. Uh, there was a level of stability with the cold war. We had two bipolar powers. Now, when you take away all these agreements and now you have the emergence of a multipolar world, Um, there's some inherent instability in a multipolar world. Some people will say, oh, this is great, it's gonna be more parity, it's gonna be more balance and even distribution of power around the world, yes. That might be potentially true but there's also inherent instability in that you also have an interdependency between countries and trading networks and it's really a hangover from globalization but you can't de-globalize the world and that level of interdependence those mechanisms are going to become the fault lines uh, in any future conflict what am i talking about i'm talking about shipping lanes I'm talking about the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative, I'm talking about moving goods and services around the world, who controls that, who steers that, and ultimately who will be the enforcement body if there are disputes and problems. Case in point, what are we seeing right now uh, regarding what's happening in the Gulf of Aden or in the bab Mendep Straits in the Red Sea? The answer, Allah, the Houthis as they call them in the West, have been seizing Israeli ships or ships that they suspect are transporting weapons or personnel or what have you uh, to Israel and carrying out the war crimes that we're seeing every day in Gaza for the last seven weeks, seven weeks. So those shipping lanes, the busiest shipping lanes on the planet, and Yemen basically who's been a victim of a proxy war uh, pushed by the United States using Saudi Arabia, the UAE, uh, France, Israel were also involved in that coalition to help destroy Yemen. So Yemen's pushing back in defense of the Palestinians, and they've really made a name for themselves with their spe- their own special ops team doing helicopter raids onto these giant uh, tankers and shipping uh, vessels. So flagged by other countries owned by Israelis, how do they have this intelligence? They're not messing around. So these are problems, uh, internationally on the international system. So I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to this, a good answer to this. I'm just a big believer in diplomacy. Um, I'm going to say never give up, even if it looks impossible. But R- Russian foreign ministry is looking pretty dour on this issue actually, and they're basically saying. to to achieve a strategic balance in the international system right now with a lack of the INF Treaty, the ABM Treaty, the New START Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, uh, denuclearization, on the weapons side anyway, not the civilian power side. uh, It's a big problem uh, at the moment. So where are we heading on this now? It's not good. The New START Treaty, the latest iteration of a series of agreements that limited Moscow and Washington's nuclear arsenals was last reviewed as if January 21, days after Joe Biden was inaugurated as US president. Notice Joe Biden didn't move to renew that, or even to have talks, to at least have negotiations. Moscow suspended its participation in the agreement in February, citing U.S. involvement in Ukraine. In the conflict there arming the ukrainians this was before the special military operation it was a good year before on uh, kiev's attacks on russian air bases and uh hosting strategic air bombers and subsequently this is what's happened so at this point there's no option to continue the new start treaty or replace it it expires in february 2026 but who is complying with it this is the question so uh Ryabkov is the deputy FM Sergei Ryabkov, the deputy foreign minister of Russia. He's saying we have to take into account the level of hostility of our opponents and the reckless drive to pump the Kiev regime with all kinds of weapons. He explained, calling the situation the opposite of what we've always aimed for. So the U.S. is using Ukraine as a proxy. This is creating a you could say, a nuclear deterrent problem uh, between Russia and the United States. So this is exactly what we wanted to avoid, is having this situation spill forward uh, in this sense. Not great. It's not going to be great for anybody involved. And so when you start seeing these things coming from the top diplomats uh, in a major superpower like Russia, uh, you know things are really heading in the wrong direction, and that's putting it lightly. So we'll keep an eye on that situation. This is worthy of another Sort of segment, if you will, perhaps we'll bring on an expert on arms control in this to have a discussion, a fruitful and productive discussion on why is it happening and what we can do about it. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we will pivot uh, back to uh, the situation uh, in the Middle East. We'll try to connect our guest Hala Jabbar. Uh, so we'll, we'll take a break right now uh, with TNT Today's News Talk and continue this discussion on this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Kenny's your host. We'll be back in just a few minutes. TNT Radio News.
0: For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Negotiators are pushing Israel and Hamas to extend their current ceasefire beyond the fourth and final day originally agreed upon on Monday. The French government has issued a plea against vigilantism in the wake of the slaying of a teenager in rural France by a group reported to have shouted, Stab White People. Two Chinese fighter jets were monitored orbiting a Philippine aircraft, participating in patrols with Australia in the South China Sea, but did not cause any untoward incident, Manila said on Sunday. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: There is a saying in Latin, and the saying is, the phrase is key bono. Ki bono, translated roughly, Who benefits? who benefits talking about the Ukrainian war who's been making money off this obviously the defense contractors in the United States have been doing extremely well out of that that's no secret stock market booming in the defense sector the dividends they're paying out to their shareholders are pretty good I'm sure it's quite a lively atmosphere at the AGM of uh, McDonnell Douglas uh, Lockheed Martin Boeing General Dynamics General Electric and all the rest of them they're doing well. They're doing well out of the war. That's uh, no surprise there. But what about uh, other sectors? Well, there's one one EU state, one NATO member here. or They're an associate member of the EU. They're a member of NATO. And they're known as Norway. Norway is a direct beneficiary of this conflict. Not only that, I'll take it a step further. Norway is a direct beneficiary of the exploding... And blowing up of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. Let me explain. Because of this conflict and sanctions that were put on by the West in the EU, it's caused energy prices to spike. So that's created a market discrepancy there. So who moved in to benefit from this? Well, the United States moved in by sending liquefied natural gas across the atlantic at a substantial premium not a discount it's cost them a lot more than the gas they're getting from russia then in september of 2022 we saw the exploding of the Nord Stream two pipelines they're bombed likely by the united states and their nato partners okay so what happened the day the Nord Stream pipelines blew up and a lot of people missed this i, I don't know how you could miss this um, the day after, Norway proudly announces its new pipeline, which crisscrosses the Nord Stream. That's right, crisscrosses it, bringing gas directly to Europe. The day they announced it, the day after the exploding of the Nord Stream two, how obvious does it need to be, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, so in in light of Russia's gas being cut off, you know they're not allowed to trade with Europe. Okay. Norway steps into the fray and they raked in, uh, according to this report here, uh, which we're going to quote, uh, from Norwegian news source, uh, they raked in record oil and gas revenues last year. Uh, and after the conflict in Ukraine, this has set prices going through the roof. And according to this, uh, NRK Norwegian news outlet, uh, they're basically saying that to research from the institution who covers these sort of issues 31.3 billion 31.3 billion norway is not a big country 2022 revenues from natural gas exports you know this is record breaking numbers for norway So they said here in this report, we find that the price of coal and Russian supply shortfall to explain the majority of the fluctuations in natural gas prices in 2022. So this is a record figure, 27% of Norwegian gas export revenues in 2022, excluding supplies to the UK are the direct beneficiary of the conflict. So insane numbers, they're calling them. The Green Party is up in arms in Norway saying this is unbelievable. They've exposed it here in the Norwegian media. That's who benefits, United States has benefited. It's been a real boon for the fracking industry uh, in the United States and the LNG conversion and the LNG imports from the US. Uh, There's other Gulf states that have tried to get on the act, increase their share as well. Qatar, I'm sure they've seen sales go up as well. So cut out the big supplier, that's Russia and then basically open the door for more expensive alternatives from your friends, how to win friends and influence people uh, in the world of fossil fuels and geopolitics. Well, you got to be in the right place at the right time. When that pipeline blows up, you got to be ready to deliver. And that's exactly what the Norwegians did. I think that Norway, my personal opinion is they were involved uh, in Nord Stream 2 and 1, the sabotage and destroying of those pipelines i think they were the chief partner with the united states certainly that's the work that we've done at 21st century wire suggests that that is likely the case so we're just saying that's a a real story that really happened so back to on the on the on the musk story we kind of have to hit this because it's getting interesting and i tweeted about this i was just kind of trolling elon i didn't realize that it would go viral but anyway, sometimes they do. So I trolled Elon because Hamas invited Elon Musk to the Gaza Strip. Now, he had just done the whole tour with Netanyahu, the October 7th tour. You know, allowed himself to be kind of an agitprop item for the Israeli regime during the conflict. Not a popular conflict. Netanyahu, not a popular leader. So Hamas invites Elon. So he said, I said, you better man up, Elon. Now is the time to show what a legend you are. Wouldn't that be amazing if Musk, I mean, anybody can go fly to Israel and do this propaganda tour. Uh, Most of our mainstream media outlets in the West have done it. This is why their coverage is so skewed, okay? So it's it's shameful the way people are covering this. It's embarrassing, in fact. What can you do? Everybody seems to be uh, on the game. But, uh, this was a chance and now imagine. So Musk has done this propaganda tour with Netanyahu. I'm calling it that because that's like what it is. Okay. I've seen them do this in Iraq. I've also witnessed this with my own eyes as a journalist. This is how it's done. Okay. Ukraine had the butcher tour. Everybody who came politicians, uh, Sean Penn, anybody that the Ukrainians wanted to influence and bring to their side, they take them on the butcher tour or they have these sort of like war damage tours, okay? Everybody does it, all countries do it, nothing new there. So what Musk had a chance after that, after doing that anodyne sort of uh, Israeli uh, theme park kind of restaged war zones and things like that, he had a chance to be a real legend. Now imagine the global media attention and imagine the street cred he would get from the other half, or not the other half, I would say most of the global population, if he actually went to the Gaza Strip with his security detail or whatever and met the Hamas leadership and they took him for a tour of the bomb damage and he did some, you know, pointing and some pictures and whatnot, said, yeah, this is pretty bad. I have seen both sides. So everyone's all about the both sides, the balance reporting. There's two sides to every story and all that. Why not do it? Why not do it? Elon, this was your big chance. This is your big chance to be a, a legend. If he did that, the street cred, nobody could say a thing about him. He'd be like, this guy is a G. But no, he took the easy one. The easy one was go hang out with Netanyahu and make all sorts of virtuous statements in defense of the Israeli narrative and so forth. Okay, Basically parroting and repeating everything that's been put on mainstream media for the last six or seven weeks. Nothing original there. Nothing new. The same sort of proclamations and so forth about october 7th etc and basically the palestinians don't exist. So he could have done it. So he responded to the invitation say it seems a bit uh, dangerous to visit gaza right now. As the billionaire said. So is he more afraid here's the question. Fair question, not a difficult question, not in my mind. Would you be more afraid if you're if you got invited by Hamas to the Gaza strip? you got invited do you who who are you more afraid of are you more afraid of like Hamas kidnapping you or killing you or something like this giving you a bad plate of Hamas a bad plate of Hamas Um, or are you more afraid of the Israelis finding out where you are getting a ping signal off your cell phone and then bombing you and then blaming it on Hamas I mean that would be pretty easy to do actually and so who's he more afraid of, or just an inadvertent Israeli airstrike or whatever? Because if he's meeting them or meeting one of their representatives, they're, they're going to be tracking that. They're going to be tracking that. So is it, of course, his safety is, is more at risk with the Israelis than it is with, with, uh, with Hamas. That's the way I look at it. Of course, there's not, a lot of hysterical people that are going to disagree with that. who are all experts on Hamas in the last uh, five weeks, just because they read a few articles in the New York Times in the Huffington Post, in Fox News. So anyway, Tesla, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has declined an invitation by senior Hamas officials to tour Gaza to see the fallout of the relentless Israeli carpet bombing campaign in the occupied territories. I mean, just at least go to the West Bank. But to go all the way over there, claim that uh, you're somehow interested in understanding the truth, and only going to the sort of protected side, the, the colonial occupier side. is kind of ridiculous, actually. So on Tuesday, Osama Hamdan, member of the Hamas Politburo, is on the political wing. They have politics, they have paramilitary. They're not the same thing. They're related, of course, but uh, so apparently it's all terrorism. Told a press conference in Beirut, Lebanon, that the Palestinian armed group would be happy to show Musk the extent of the massacres and destruction committed by the against the people of Gaza in compliance with standards of objectivity and credibility. So asked by a user to comment on the invitation, Musk replied, it seems a bit dangerous there right now. Uh, dangerous because of Hamas or dangerous because of the IDF? That's the question but I do believe in long-term prosperous Gaza is good for all sides. How are you going to get there? Well, I guess level the place and then rebuild some kind of a modern theme park city on there. Is that really the way to do it? Is that a winning formula, Elon? I don't know. I don't think so. The U.S. Uh, billionaire's remarks came after Musk traveled to Israel on Monday, met with Netanyahu and Herzog, President Herzog. President Herzog has a, got a problem, okay? Okay he basically drifted out a couple of baby ruth bars in the swimming pool over the last couple of weeks one of them is this uh, al-qaeda chemical weapons guide so this guy goes on tv starts waving around this al-qaeda guide kind of nicely laminated and basically said that oh look 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 we found hamas left this behind he left it on a coffee table in the caboose it's a how-to chemical weapons guide and so while you're on the rampage do stop and spend time looking under the sink for common household chemicals, which you then can mix under ideal lab conditions to create possibly anyway a chemical weapon. Like, what fantasy level and land are we working in here? So it turns out that President Herzog basically downloaded this uh, from a book on the Internet, a book about Al-Qaeda. I guess had Arabic, so it must have been scary. They printed it out laminated it and he said that it was a chemical weapons guide of course it was none of those things it was just a prop that was probably made up by one of his staffers so it's, the level of propaganda is just like beyond ridiculous so there's there's that side of things then herzog wasn't finished there i think he said and then a couple a week later oh look we found a copy of mine camp uh adolf hitler's uh famous he wrote in prison oh uh, we found this in, a, in in northern gaza in the children's school here they're indoctrinating the children with mind control i mean honestly you couldn't make this stuff up so that's herzog again so like every piece of propaganda that's been debunked like really bad ones it's been herzog pushing it out in the israeli media it doesn't do retractions or anything like that literally someone just give him another one another doozy and he'll run with it so like elon's meeting with this guy he has no credibility these are people like uh, terms of propaganda on the sort of the lowest possible uh, echelons. So I don't know what to say, Elon, but not a good look. Um, I apologize for my trolling, but, you know, I was just trying to kind of motivate you maybe to do something legendary, legendary. I mean, then you would be a top G. You, a lot of people think you are a top G now. Yeah, you might be. you got plenty of money. Your control is some of the most influential and important uh companies on the planet and technology as well which you preside over it is awe-inspiring it's incredible the innovation the can-do attitude the ambition these are all good things definitely for america and the world but uh why are you weighing in on one side of this very heavily heavily shaded political uh paradigm right now this political event i have to remind you that whether you're a politician, a celebrity, or a head of some industry, the the count the party here that you're photo oping with is is being investigated by the International Criminal Court for like actual genocide. So, you know, they're fawning over them, they're lyingizing them in the Western media. That's what's happening. So uh, let's take a quick break here with TNT, today's news talk, and we'll try to bring on our guest, Hala Jabber, on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back weaponizing
0: weather with reality
1: and perspective.
2: I really don't like picking on the company I used to work for. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the people I forecasted with there, and that was at AccuWeather. And in the old days, AccuWeather was like playing for the New York Yankees of weather. It was just unbelievable. It was like the world's greatest forecasters under one roof in State College, Pennsylvania. But something has turned around over the past 10, 15 years. I think it started with the weather channel first and now AccuWeather is all in on anything that has to do with global warming. Now there's a recent blog that they put out and the headline is NOAA reports declining snowpack means worldwide food disruptions. This is the headline from NOAA. It's a UPI article. Naturally AccuWeather is more than happy to promote this. In fact all the media is more than happy to promote this. There's just one problem. It's not true. Food production globally has been going up. In addition, we can cherry pick the snow cover. For instance, in the autumn, the northern hemisphere, where most of the land is, snow cover is going up. In the winter, it's going up. It is true in the spring, it's declining. Which, let me get this straight. If there's less snow on the ground in the spring, don't you have a chance to raise more crops? And when you actually look at what food production is doing, it's steadily increasing every continent across the globe. Yet, what does the head line say. And I can't blame, let's say, the Weather Channel or AccuWeather or whoever wants to just parrot this for the actual article what i can say is why don't you research it why don't you look and say well wait a minute the food production is going up the snow is going up and a little bit of intuition here again if spring is coming a bit earlier isn't that good for growing food this is tnt climate and weather watch dog meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you got
0: with a compelling perspective on global politics. This is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT
1: Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're in the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to bring on to the line a very special guest, journalist, and author, Hala Jabber, of uh, his extensive experience on the ground in the Middle East, is also the author of what many is considered to be one of the definitive uh, books on Hezbollah, the organization published in 1997, Hezbollah Born with a Vengeance. He's joining us on the line right now. Hala, how are you?
3: Good evening, and thank you for having me, Patrick, and good evening to your audience. I'm fine, thank, thank you.
1: you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Hala, just uh, with the time we have left, I wanted to get your assessment right now of where the uh, hostage uh, swap and this talks of an extended ceasefire, where are things sitting right now? And I know there's a few interesting developments perhaps you can share with us. Go ahead.
3: Yes, well, um, So far, over the last five days, 86 hostages have been freed by um, Qassam Brigade or Hamas and um, in return for the 150 uh, Palestinian prisoners. However, according to the Israeli uh, spokesman earlier today, there are still like 101, uh, sorry, 161 um, detainees to hostages with Hamas. Um, some of them are still the dual nationals, and others are the military. Now, as far as Hamas is concerned, they have, you know, they've split this group into two. They're happy to 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 free the civilians in exchange for civilian prisoners, if you want, women and children um, uh, from Israeli prisons. And I mean, Hamas would like to free all the prisons from the prisoners. Um, so this is where the military side of things or the military prisoners come into play. They would. Um, negotiate the release of those in return for the the actual prisoners the 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 male prisoners if you want that are being uh, held in israeli prisoners including some big names um i think today will be the last um there is a batch that will happen today and for example had is on it um, and other women but if there's no extension then really there are still civilian israeli um captives with hamas now i think israel my my reading would be that there will be an extension maybe of another two days because they would want at least the civilians out for the time being because that is the main pressure point at the moment in israel um and netanyahu there are two going on one is for him to resign another one is the the pressure point about the this the the hostages and netanyahu has two headaches at the moment, if you want, two big ones. So he would like to finalize one so that he can concentrate on the other. So um, there are negotiations, there are talks going on to this minute, I believe, to try and see whether they would come up later in the evening with an extension of this. So we've had, it was supposed to be four days, it was extended to another uh, uh, three days, was it, another two days, and now maybe it will extend to another further, a uh, few, few more days or two days. So... That I don't think the the response to that has come out yet. Earlier today as well, Hamas put out a statement saying that three of the hostages it had, and it named them um, the woman and um, and the, and two children. Well, they didn't they named them, but uh, when we checked against the names, it turned out to be the woman and her two children. One is the four month old baby, and. Um, Kifir and the other one is um, is her toddler, the four year old baby. Hamas says that um, they died from injuries sustained during Israel's uh, bombing spate in the last in the last uh, a few weeks. Now they haven't said anything beyond that, and there are obviously no photos. I don't think they will put photos out. Hamas so far has, every time it's put out a statement, it's been very accurate in what it says. If it says, I'm releasing 10, it's released 10. If it says, you know, I've done this, it's done this. So unless these hostages were not with Hamas, you know, there are other factions and all the other factions, each one of them has some hostages, which sometimes was also problematic for Hamas when the actual release was happening in order to to find out where they are, who has who has whom, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you everything we've seen the hostages that have been kept by Hamas have been kept in a very good in very good form, shape, and form. They've been well taken care, of and they've been protected, and mostly they've been put in tunnels. I believe. Other factions, however, do not have access to such things, and this is where they they would have kept hostages at homes, in houses, in backyards or something and these may not be necessarily very protective so if they're and and we've had carpet bombing going on in gaza so yes there would have been loss of life so that's my point there's no clarity as to the three hostages were they being held with hamas or were they being held with another faction Uh, if they were with hamas i'd be surprised because again because of the two babies involved hamas would have released this in the first batch they wouldn't hold back on them having released all the other children the younger ones so you know, I'm. I mean, I'm just reading it rather than out of you know information. Obviously, we don't have direct like uh, line to Hamas, but my reading of it is this. Therefore, it makes me deduce or conclude that the three were not being held with Hamas, were being held with another faction. Hamas is finding out now that they've been killed, and obviously, because it's in charge of the whole process, it's the one that announces it.
1: And so, so this, th- these are so confirmed uh, dead, including children. Is that correct?
3: Well, confirmed that, and as far as Hamas' statement earlier today said, yes, and uh, I'm just going to find out the, the, because and as on, far as the, yeah, on, just sorry. quickly
1: on, on in the chaos of uh, October seventh when you had other factions and sort of independent uh, people moving in through the open gate, as it were, uh, would would it be possible that people would be taking uh, hostages in order to sell them to somebody else or kind of trade them up if they have relatives that are in Israeli prisons for their own personal uh leverage Uh, you know there's a lot of chaos and a lot of confusion in that different people taking different hostages people have different agendas perhaps um so it's just i'm trying to understand the the circumstances in which they were first abducted yeah go ahead
3: it's it's very clear that when the first you know when october 7 happened it was very clear that you know if we go through everything hamas obviously had a plan and a plan of action um um, and we're just going to discuss it as that. We're not going to the right and wrongs of anything. So they had a plan to go in, to do this incursion. They had a list of military targets. They had a list of military people that they wanted to take as prisoners because they know that this is the way to negotiate with Israel for the release of other prisoners. These are facts we know, yeah? But what happened on the day is, I think when they went in, the 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 the, the, the speed in which they managed to, get, to go in and the easy uh, scenario Um, you know, they weren't met with what they were expecting, you know, uh, big retaliation or security or anything, you know. And we know that other groups, a lot of other groups, some very small, some main ones like um, PI, PIJ, you know, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, um, they were all involved in going in as well. And some of them acted at random. So, by the time everybody got back, those that did get back with whatever hostages they they took and came back into Gaza, within hours the Israeli bombardment started. And if we recall the first week, even Hamas itself used to say, you know, it would say how many it had, but it couldn't definitely say how many in total were in Gaza because it knew others had some and it was unable to communicate to find out who had what. So this has been going on for several weeks. And over the weeks, we've had Hamas again announce because it's been told by the others, for example, that a number of hostages have been killed, or you know, through in, in the bombing or are under the rubble, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So all of the it's 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 been quite confusing. It's been, because it's been very messy because it's not under one, the control of one group that knows exactly the numbers, the names, and where they are because they're scattered because they're with different factions. It's made it more difficult to assess. You know who's saying what when it comes to the other groups. So so yes, today Hamas put out this. It was a very brief statement. It just said that, you know, we announced that um, three hostages, uh, they don't call them hostages, obviously they call them prisoners, um, uh, that were detained have, detainees have died of injuries sustained during Israel's previous bombing in Gaza. They named them as Sherry Bibas, Kefir Bibas, and Ariel Bibas. Now. When we check when I check the names against the list that Israel has put out, it the family, the the, the mom, the and the two babies turned out to be the, the mother, Sherry, and the baby, the 10-month-old baby and the four-year-old boy. The the father is always kid, is also kidnapped, but he was not mentioned. So obviously he survived, or he's being held somewhere else, or he's been. so um again, I would usually take Hamas's statements to be you know, the, there's no need for them to, to put a lie out like this, Um, unless, like I said, this is with another group, but Hamas is making the statement, which is why we also don't have much material on it or much, much information. Um, yeah, this, this is, this will be a major blow. And as far as Israel's concerned, because one, we're talking about a very young baby, you know, 10 months old, being taken as a hostage is a hard one to swallow by anybody, you know, for whatever the reasons are. But and and they were already they were already discussing it. You know, he's the youngest and this baby has to be released. And I was actually getting surprised as to why in the past four days the baby has not been released, because you'd think that's the first one that would they would let out. There's no, you know, the yeah. the value of him. Yes, I know there is a value in child, but they wouldn't given how they've we've seen they've treated others, they wouldn't leave this baby behind. Again, so that confirms to me in my head that this is something they didn't have control over. It was with they were with somebody else. Um Furthermore, I don't know if you remember, but yesterday, the Western media, the British media were all talking about, you know, um, this report that came out that said that um, Hamas actually had the baby, the babies and the mother, and they gave them to another faction. Now that I I I don't, you know, yeah, Sky, everybody was discussing this yesterday. They were mentioning that, you know, according to some media reports, Hamas had taken these but had given them to another faction. Now I would think it's the reverse because Hamas, if they had the hostages, they wouldn't give them to another faction. Because I mean, yep. as far as they're concerned, they need, you know, they they would need to keep them and protect them and not give them to another. Where the risks are, are much higher. So, false, you false, it, re- do, you, do you think that was a false, a
1: false? Do do you think that was a false report by Western media? Um, that yeah, that, that yeah or
3: or or again i'm trying this is all analysis at the moment because again we don't have the fact you know you know when you when you worked on this for many years in different forms and shapes you try and put one to one and come come up you know you try and see and read it or israel has been informed of this yesterday and it's a it's a it's a preliminary preparation but you know the story was twisted yesterday as in hamas gave it to another group and therefore you know well, today, Hamas is saying they're dead. So I don't know. I'm just saying. But I, I would find it very, very, very unlikely that Hamas had the three and then gave them to somebody else. Hamas does not give what it has to somebody else. It's the other way uh, around, I, usually. I,
1: I agree. I agree with you. That that That's the logical conclusion. But the question yeah. is, which way is the media and which way are the pol- politicians in the West going to spin this one? To try to back out of it uh, clearly you're right huge blow to Israel potentially but I'm sure they're going to find a way to blame this uh, on Hamas and uh, increase yeah, their case on their side but look we, we're gonna break here top of the hour that's all we got time for today author and journalist Hala Jabber you want to follow her on X Twitter and she's also a frequent speaker on Twitter spaces as well great analysis appreciate you joining us on TNT Hala thank you thank you
3: Patrick
1: There she goes. Ladies and gentlemen, follow Hala and her work. And big thank you to Freddie Ponton, another great journalist in the first hour from France. All this is looking like it's shaping up to be yet another big week. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place right here. Take care, you guys. Patrick Henningsen signing out.